0: This is Lifetime Sentence, the podcast where we watch bad Lifetime original movies and compare them to the truly heinous stories that inspired them. Because sometimes the truth really is stranger than fiction.
1: Hey, how's it going? You know, this last week
0: has been incredibly emotional and heavy. And I want to take a second, and I don't know if we have any Um, black indigenous people of color that live here or that live here that listen (laughs) i know they don't live here that
1: live with us in the interspace that is our podcast yeah
0: Yeah, um but i want to like apologize because i thought and you know i have been outspoken about black lives matter and i have been you know, there and I've considered myself an ally, but I was wrong. And I was not doing nearly enough to educate myself on what really like where this all comes from and systemic racism and all of these things that now I've like taken a step back and really am trying to learn, you know, how this became this way and what I can really do to help besides just saying, I guess, of course, Black Lives Matter, you know, and, you know, yelling at my dad for using foul language, racist language. Right. And things like that. And, uh, you know, I'm working on becoming more bold. I've done it a few times this week, which is why I'm probably so exhausted. But, you know, again, it's not enough because... Uh, you know, black people have had to carry this on themselves for so long and do this all themselves. And I, um, it hurts my heart and I hope that I can use this time and et to just become a better person and a better ally to my friends who are people of color.
1: I love that. That's a, that's a beautiful sentiment that explains the way, way I think many of us feel. Um, One of the things that I said today, or this week rather, that really hit home with me in a way that I didn't realize is somebody I was talking to said that they have just deleted their social media for a while so they can get away from all this. And I got real mad and I was like, this is a person who argues that, that white privilege isn't a thing, but that right there is white privilege. And That's, that's white
0: privilege. And yeah.
1: I was like, you can just turn off social media and you don't have to deal with this anymore. But people of color can't turn it off. It's always present. And mm-hmm. I think that is a thing that I never realized either because like I am so overwhelmed right now. And I feel like... I'm just spinning my wheels. And if that's how I feel and I'm not the person that's being abused and discriminated against, then I can't imagine what anyone else is going through.
0: Yeah, and I just, you know, I know you're a teacher and I know you don't choose curriculum. You're not even a history teacher, so, you know, but it is the education of people in this country about what happened um, in the civil rights movement, with slavery, with Jim Crow, with all of that stuff is woefully inadequate because I didn't know, I don't know any, I barely know enough to get by and pass the history test. And so I'm having to like shame myself, not shame myself, but take myself back to like high school history and learn some things that I never knew.
1: Right. Um,
0: and I have been really disappointed in a lot of people that I love and trust in my life this week that have said things that are so incredibly racist and hurtful that I, you know, I've unfriended people unfollowed people. I, it's horrible, you know, and of course I do it, you know, you know, I'll comment and be like, this is exactly what white privilege is. And then be like, okay, bye-bye. But it's, it's disheartening to see that there are so many overtly racist people.
1: Yes. This country. Yes. Um, I was told by somebody that um, the only reason that I support black lives matter is because I'm young in the generation I'm in that when I got older and wiser. And first of all, I have two degrees and extra school. I have bought two houses in my lifetime and I've been raising myself since I was 16. I am plenty old enough to think for myself. But the second part of that is there are plenty of people my age who are racist. So I don't know how (laughs) that has anything to do with it. It
0: doesn't. But,
1: But, the th- The thing that I feel so inadequate with is that social media isn't enough, but that is the way I interact with people, especially right now. Mm-hmm. And that I will never be able to make somebody understand through a Facebook post. All no. that happens is people get inflammatory and get angry and do and resort to name calling. There's not a place for civil discourse really in the entire world and that yeah. is where I am feeling so sucked dry and where I feel like I have the power to make a change mm-hmm. in it like if I could just sit down and talk with somebody just one-on-one and be like Ex- explain to me what your thought process is because I really do want to see your point of view like I really do want to understand why you why you assume there's no such thing as privilege, which is the thing I think I'm fighting with the most Mm -hmm. is that I did grow up poor. I did grow up abused. I did grow up smelly and I still had lots of privilege and I know that, Mm -hmm. but there are lots of people who think that if they came from a similar background as me, that nothing was handed to them so they don't have privilege. And that's the, Not true. That's where my, where I keep talking in circles. And Mm -hmm. I think if I could get that point across so much would change in the discourse to the people in my life, but I can't have that conversation Mm one-on-one.
0: You know, I think the hardest part for me has been accepting that a, what I've done in the past was not been good enough and B, that that makes me part of the problem. Right. And so, you know, this week, or the past two weeks now, I have been donating to every cause and signing every petition. I have not gone out to protest because I'm, I am of higher exposure to COVID-19, and um, tear gas, which attacks your lungs, um, could really exacerbate that. Um, so I am staying home and doing what I can from home, um, and, you know, just try and trying to educate myself. And I, I read a post that was like, you know, you don't need to be out protesting because the work that a lot of people need to be doing is out, you know, in suburbia, just calling people out for their racist crap.
1: And mm-hmm. I've been doing
0: plenty of that.
1: So <laughs> <sighs> I wish that I'd had the wherewithal to do that yesterday when I texted y'all about rescuing that poor woman. And Oh my god! But what you uh, did was so good.
0: But it's like, oh, why but, are
1: people like this? Yeah. Well, and, out of the house. Well, and the worst part is, is like he wasn't. So to set the text for everyone listening to our now private yeah, conversation, apparently, <laughs> um, Sarah and I left the house yesterday for what feels like the first time in a million years. And we went to TJ Maxx to buy some blankets to throw over our new couches because we can finally sit in our living room. Um, Yay! And um, this poor woman who worked at TJ Maxx got cornered by this guy who, he wasn't irate, he wasn't angry, but he was trying to convince her that these protests don't matter because nobody's constitutional rights are being stepped on and like a just your level of idiocy is so high sir they can see it from mars but b like this poor woman is an employee at tj maxx she cannot tell you to shut the fuck up but somebody needs to tell you to (laughs) shut the the fuck up Um, and also,
0: the number of people in this country that need to take a good long reread of the Constitution
1: is baffling. You know, you say reread. I think you mean initial read. Not a single yeah, one of these jokers year. have read it. Um, so I, I hadn't even realized what was going on. I thought he was. I thought he was an employee talking to her. So I just kind of ignored it. Um, and Sarah was like, "Paul, you gotta go rescue her." And so that's what I finally zoned in and like honed in on the conversation. And I was like, this poor woman. So I walked up while he was mid-sentence and I was like, I'm so sorry, but do you have any throw blankets? And I knew that they were clear across the store from where we were. And she was like, well, they're over there. And I was like, I'm sorry. I thought I looked, can you walk me there? And so we got a few steps away and he looked at us like I had just slapped him for interrupting his conversation. And she was like, I'm sorry, we don't have men. And I was like, no ma'am, I don't actually need anything. I'm just letting you walk with me so you can get out of that conversation. I said, nobody <laughs> needs that bullshit in their life today. And she went, oh my God, thank you.
0: <laughs> you know, I, it's crazy. And then, you know, talk about this, this movie where things are happening, this movie that I never, I didn't know. Yeah. I know nothing about Malcolm X
1: I realized that too like I know enough to say that I know enough about Malcolm X which means that I don't know enough and now uh, yeah okay so yeah so mm-hmm. heads up now that we're 11 minutes in um, and we haven't gotten to anything that is like our podcast but it was all very important uh, this episode is going to be roughly seven and a half hours long
0: <laughs> indeed yes buckle in it's going to be a long one um, yeah, welcome to Lifetime Sentence.
1: I'm angry. I am angrier. You're not wrong. Hmm, yeah. Oh, I'm hot and angry. Our air conditioner's broken. I mentioned that on Patreon. Yes.
0: <laughs> you might be a little angrier now because <laughs> of your air conditioner, but I think I'm angrier overall. Probably. <sighs> I have gone, like, full – I never thought I had it in me to attempt to be, like, a full-blown activist. And I never thought that I would see I – th- I said this in our Patreon – that I would see this in my lifetime and have a reason to go out and fight for people that are being discriminated against, which just shows, again, my white privilege thinking that everything was fine – but also, I'm ready to fight. <laughs> I'm ready. I, I. Oh, my gosh. I'm so mad. Okay. Okay, so, <laughs> with that being said, this week we watched, or I watched, Betty and Coretta, a movie about Dr. Betty Shabazz, which is the widow of Malcolm X, and Coretta Scott King. And um oh my gosh, I totally missed a person. Okay, it stars Angela Bassett. I love her. She plays Coretta oh my she is flawless. She plays Coretta Scott King. You'll know her from Black Panther, Avengers Endgame, American Horror Story, Strange Days, Contact, Olympus Has Fallen, London Has Fallen, Of Boys and Men, Meet the Browns, Gospel Hill, and Jumping the
1: Broom. <laughs> okay, um, I don't know any of those things. No, I love Angela Bassett. You know, she also played Betty Shabazz in a couple of films.
0: No way! Yeah. That's so cool. Uh, this film movie. Betty Shavazz is played by Mary J. Blige.
1: I love that so much. I have to know if she was any good.
0: She was excellent.
1: I'm so glad to hear that.
0: There's not a super ton to make fun of in this movie. They freaking nailed it. So, um, you'll know her from Mudbound, Rock of Ages. She also worked on the soundtracks for The Help and Precious. Um, Malik Yoba, he plays Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, he was in Cool Runnings. Really? Yep. Uh, Faith Under Fire, which is another Lifetime movie. Um, the last OG and a movie that I just, I laughed at the title, so I had to include it. It's
1: called Bad Dad Rehab. <laughs> you know, I actually watched him in a movie today. He's in Tyler Perry's Why Did I Get Married? He is? Uh-huh.
0: I think he's on his IMDb. Okay.
1: Yeah, he um. He is one of the husbands. I was, in fact, like I said, I was watching that today, and I was like, that name sounds really familiar.
0: Uh, Lindsay Owen Pierre, he plays Malcolm X. And first of all, I just have to say that I need someone to go into IMDb and fix his photo because the photo is of a white lady.
1: Uh-uh.
0: And he is a black man. (laughs) Um, He's from Noel, Dark Matter, The Crossword Mysteries on um, the Hallmark Channel. Um, We have Tyler Hines. He plays Michael (laughs) Fitzpatrick. Yes, right? (laughs) What the
1: hell? Sorry, I looked up his IODB picture, and that's hilarious. I need okay, I want
0: to correct it immediately.
1: So, if you zoom in on the picture, like if you click and pull it full size, he's in that shot. It's just zoomed in on her and I.
0: <laughs> I can't fix it. Okay, so Michael Fitzpatrick uh, is played by Tyler Hines. He's in all of the Hallmark movies, including It's Christmas Eve. Winter in oh, Vale, the mistletoe secret, and flip that romance.
1: He d- does just look like Hallmark.
0: Yeah, um, and finally, but also, did Chanel.
1: you know he looked like that? Yeah, he he's been
0: interviewed on Deck the Hallmark a couple of times. He is what? Um, Chanel Azaro, she plays uh, Kubilla. Um, she's from Roxy Wolf Wolfgang, Don't Let Go, and Nostalgia. And then finally, this whole thing is narrated um by Ruby D, who lived through all of this with uh Coretta Scott King and Betty Chavez.
1: Oh, so it's narrated by the actual actress that was their friend. Like the yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Okay.
0: Uh huh. Yeah. So we open with crowds cheering and President Obama, I miss you so much. Please come save us.
1: <laughs> I think you mean obey my what? No. No one means that.
0: <laughs> no. Mm-hmm. Introducing us to the monument to Martin Luther King Jr. We cut to Ruby D. saying how she never thought that day would happen. A monument to Martin Luther King dedicated by the first black president of the United States. She talks about Martin Luther King and Malcolm X and their wives who carried on the fight even after their husbands were gunned down in cold blood, how they were sisters born of sorrow, but became a sisterhood of greatness.
1: Let's pause for just a second and reflect on how they did not say assassinated because that's such a like a PC family friendly term gunned down in cold blood is so important.
0: It's like how I take issue with all these articles about George Floyd and they say the killing of, and I'm like, no, no, you mean the murder of? Right. Mm. If even Nancy Grace thinks you should be charged with first degree murder, there's a problem. Right? Okay. So.
1: Although I still stand swift justice with Judge Nancy Grace.
0: Yeah, I know. (laughs) Um, So she says they were sisters of sorrow, but they became a sisterhood of greatness. She talks about Coretta going down to Salem to be with Martin when he was arrested, which was the first and only time she met Malcolm X. And they cut to Malcolm giving a speech in Salem. This is Alabama, not Massachusetts.
1: So there weren't like witches hanging out in the background while he's giving a speech? Okay.
0: No, but did you watch, did I send y'all that video? I thought I sent it to y'all. I need you to... It's a TikTok video about the girl that was saying, she she's like laughing. She's like, I never thought I'd see this in my lifetime where the Christians were gathering together to pray for the witches as they cast their spells. <laughs> no! On, or if you said it, I didn't on, watch it. On um, police officers that uh, were, <laughs> you know, being brutal and against black lives.
1: <laughs> Look, we're, we'll do anything at this point. Whatever it takes. But
0: the Amish are here. I ran... Has held a memorial for George Floyd. Like, <laughs> it's time. <laughs> if the Amish hear about it, like, do you know how much has to happen? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Um. So we cut to Malcolm giving a speech in a church in Salem, and he says something so fucking poignant for what we are currently experiencing. He says, quote, I believe in nonviolence if a person is nonviolent with me. But if my enemy does not believe in nonviolence then practicing nonviolence with him in my opinion is a waste of time.
1: Abso fucking lutely.
0: Um, Coretta is not impressed though so after the service she goes up to him and calls him irresponsible for speaking the way that he does. Because they have enough trouble without him coming down to stir the pot. Um, he says the king should be thanking him for being there because now, if his enemies give in and Dr. King and give Dr. King what he wants, it will be because he was there to scare the pants off of them. So, you know, I'm glad that nobody ever has their shit together Right. life. Okay. Um,. They talk about the infighting and argue over the best ways to move forward. She finally says that her, she and her husband have faith that, the, that right will triumph in men's hearts. He says he was glad to meet her because he can see where Dr. King gets his strength. She finally thanks him for coming and shakes his hand. And that is their only meeting.
1: Wow. Um,
0: so Coretta goes to visit um, Martin in jail. They have a moment and a discussion about Malcolm X and how Coretta thinks it's possible that he could come around and be a good supporter for the movement. Okay. Because King thinks that he's too – he's hes uh, hyping up violence too much, and King was very anti-violence. Right. As, um, Betty's at home putting her children to bed while one of Malcolm's bodyguards just sits at a table <laughs> – Betty shoes him on home, but he says Malcolm told him to stay until he got home. Betty puts on her best, don't fuck with me, I'm a mom face, and tells him to go.
1: <laughs> good.
0: Um, He leaves, and while Betty is tucking in the older girls, um, Malcolm comes home. The girls jump out of bed, and they're like, daddy, daddy, we missed you. So he gets them out of bed and gives them ice cream.
1: Like every good dad does. Just mm-hmm. to piss the mom off.
0: He has presents from England because that's where he came from. Um, He was there like talking to people about the UN. So um, after the kids finally go to sleep, he tells Betty about how they were, he was refused entry into Paris. Um, Betty begs him to stop traveling, but he's convinced that the only way to help is to introduce sanctions at the UN against the United States and get other countries to join in. But Betty's like, hi, welcome back to the real world. We are about to lose our house because you pissed off the leader of our former church. People call here every day and threaten to kill you. So, have a seat.
1: Right? <laughs> She's like, I'm gonna buy an answering machine so I don't have to listen to this anymore. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, she says she needs a job and mal- and this is where I disagree with him greatly, but it's okay. He tells her, um, no, because, um, <clears throat> excuse me a woman's ha- place is in the home with the kids and excuse the fuck out of me but nobody tells Mary J. Blige she can't have a job
1: right additionally this was a fight that they always had like mm-hmm. he yes. he had this very strong sense of gender roles and mm-hmm. um, she was like nah I'm good
0: no yeah <laughs> <laughs> um he starts talking about how he's basically a dead man anyways, and they fight because, you know, pessimism. And um, then he's like, Can you oh, they make up, and then he goes back to eating his ice cream. And this man was passionate about ice cream. He Good. He talks about ice cream almost as much as he talks about racism,
1: which... Listen, if you have Passion to have a secondary that. platform...
0: Mm, ice cream is it. Mm-hmm. I mean, if someone stepped into the presidential race right now and was like, um, I support anti-racism and ice cream, I'd be like, I will vote for you.
1: Yep. Yep.
0: <laughs> um, Betty cries a little more and goes back. Oh, Betty cries a little more, and then they both rub her stomach because she's pregnant. They have four kids already. This is, like, my worst nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> um, they guess whether, whether it'll be a boy, finally, because they have four girls or another girl. They go to bed and talk about Tuskegee, where they met, um one of the girls wakes up in the middle of the night to see someone peeking in her window
1: nope hard pass
0: she screams um and then the people outside throw fire sticks I don't know what they're really called they're like branches with like gasoline tied around and like fire on the end what the fuck they just throw them into every window in the house good No, that's
1: not good. No, I'm I'm well aware. (laughs)
0: Um, The kids, they get the kids and Malcolm manages to grab his gun before they run out of the house. The next morning, the fire department and some police are there and also what I assume are Malcolm's people all in front of the house. Malcolm tells Betty he has to go to Detroit and give a speech. um, And she and the girls are going to stay with one of his people. Tom and Antoinette, who they call Tony. He her, promises her that things are going to change soon and they'll get a new house in a much safer place. Ruby D is back to talk about how Betty and the kids moved in with Tom and Tony, who immediately started receiving threatening phone calls every day. They still answered the phone, though, because they thought maybe it would be Malcolm. He finally calls to ask her to come to Harlem to hear her speak. She brings the girls. No, um, no, 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 no. Okay. Yeah. Malcolm starts to speak, but a fight breaks out, and then about ten people with guns start firing on him. We see this from the view of one of the little girls. No. It's horrible. Um. And then we cut to Dr. King's home, where he is reading about the uh assassination that's what they put in the headline of course um dr king says he was afraid of this happening um and also i don't know how accurate this set of their home is but it's so pretty <laughs> coretta scott king had taste
1: okay she did
0: yeah um coretta says they need to reach out to betty um malcolm is like oh no i um, Martin is like, oh, but I already released a public statement. And she's like, no.
1: (laughs) Good on you. That's not the same thing. Thanks for attending my TED Talk.
0: So Malcolm has his funeral. Betty kisses the casket. Tony and Tom talk about what will happen to her now because she has no money, no home, and she's pregnant. Later, Tony brings her a telegram from Dr. King um, and basically it's like if you need need anything, please reach out to me. Um, you know, I'm so sorry, etc. etc. Right. So um Ruby's back to tell us about the political climate at the time, which was not much unlike our own. Students were protesting Vietnam. There were protests over Malcolm's death, there are videos of protests and buildings on fire, police beating people in the middle of the street. Um Mostly things you could turn on the root the news right now and see happening.
1: Yeah, I mean you're not wrong, but I'm I'm not a fan. Twenty twenty.
0: Yeah. Betty now has six girls because she had twin twin girls. Neither <laughs> of them were a boy. <laughs> that happened to my my very first boss. He had four girls, and so he's like, yeah. We had two girls, and I thought we'd try for a boy, and we got twin girls, so we stopped.
1: (laughs) Oh, my gosh.
0: Um, Ruby says they all helped Betty out and that they were able to use the royalties from Malcolm's autobiography to put a down payment on a nice home in Mount Vernon where she could give her children a sheltered life. Um, Tony brings her a collection of clothes for the girls. Betty talks tells Tony that people are skewing Malcolm's real message, so Tony encourages Betty to get out there and tell the people who he really was. Um, Meanwhile, at the King home, Coretta is watching about the marches in Memphis where Martin is. Her phone rings, and it's someone calling to tell her how much they hate Martin.
1: Okay, thanks. Duly noted.
0: Mm -hmm. He's actually back by now. He's downstairs sulking because people don't like him. Aww. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Um, he says he thinks everyone, everything may have gone to his head, like with the Nobel Prize and, you know, all that stuff. But Coretta gives him a badass pep talk. Coretta and her daughter are coming home. Oh, God. Coretta and her daughter are coming home from shopping for Easter dresses. It's raining outside as they get up to the porch and the phone is ringing, so I'm already assuming that it's bad news. I am unfortunately correct because Martin has been shot and killed in Memphis. Oh, my God. We cut to Coretta watching Bobby Kennedy giving a speech about Dr. King on TV. Um, one of Martin's people can- comes down to tell her that Senator Kennedy is offering her his plane. Um, he tells her that the march in Memphis has been canceled, but she says no, it must go on. So she and her kids are going to go to Memphis and lead the march.
1: God, how incredible.
0: Um so they do. They go and she leads a march in Memphis 4 days after her husband's murder. <clears throat> Ruby's back to talk about how hard Coretta worked to keep the cause alive and how she worked to get a national holiday to honor Martin Luther King. Betty meanwhile is working her ass off volunteering and taking care of the kids. Tony meets her for lunch and talks to her about speaking at the Black National Political Convention in Gary, Indiana.
1: Gary, Indiana, I, Gary, Indiana.
0: That's. I had to stop and sing that song for like five
1: minutes. So I, was, I was Winthrop in a local production of that whenever I was in the second grade. Um, and I was so committed to the role that I couldn't get rid of the lisp for a long time afterward. Aww.
0: That's precious. Um... Betty says she's not going to go. But Tony tells her that this is her chance to set the record straight. Then she literally sips her tea and says, Coretta's going to represent Martin. <laughs> 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 I was like, oh, I love you, Tony. Let's have brunch. <laughs> so Betty decides to go. Um <clears throat> Ruby talks about how amazing the convention was and how Betty and Coretta were seated on the stage right next to each other. Coretta gives an incredible speech and the audience shots are a combination of the actual convention and stage shots for the movie and it just worked so well.
1: I love that. Um,
0: Coretta speaks to the women about what a powerful force they are. I'm so distracted by how beautiful Angela Bassett is that I almost can't pay attention.
1: (laughs) She really is gorgeous.
0: I know. Betty's speech follows. She talks about Malcolm's true message, who he was, and who they should all aspire to be. She also gets a wonderful round of applause afterwards. After the convention, Betty and Coretta sit down for some iced tea and a chat, which I may have chosen bourbon, but that's just me. They talk about how much they admire each other. Betty says she envies Coretta and how she's carrying on. Coretta encourages Betty that she has a lot to offer to the movement, even though Betty just thinks she's, quote, has six kids to raise and nothing to offer.
1: Oh, poor thing.
0: They say they're going to stay in touch and they see the man but then they see the man responsible for Malcolm's murder. Um, They start chatting again about how they both know that certain things were not fully investigated in both of the cases. Shucker. I know. Coretta says, quote, they may have killed our husbands, but they didn't kill their ideas and now it's up to us to carry them forward. Um, Back to Ruby. She tells us about the progress that was made over the next few years, how Coretta continues to fight for a national holiday, and how Betty went back to school and got her doctorate
1: yeah she did
0: what like it's hard <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: and gets her first job teaching at a college she meets um Merle evers and they have a chat turns out Merley's getting remarried and she asks betty if there's a man in her life but betty just says only one it's malcolm oh and i feel that only i'm sure i hate myself over it way more than betty ever would have <laughs> Um, Betty's daughter starts having nightmares that her mom is going to be murdered. This is the one that they showed the, um, the shooting from her. Okay. Um, Betty's getting ready for dinner, a dinner party, but she stops to do what I'm going to call not quite the hustle. (laughs) With her kids. Um, Coretta comes and brings her kids. And wow, it's like the 70s threw up all over this kitchen. Yes. Um, Except not quite. Mm. (laughs) A few notes away from the hustle.
1: (laughs) Right, right. I I had to stop.
0: Uh, Betty helps Kabila move into Princeton. Over at Coretta's house, she's dealing with some fucking nonsense because it turns out that J. Edgar Hoover, they could make a whole movie about how twisted he was, had their house tapped. Uh huh. Coretta says she wants to suppress the tapes. The lawyer visiting her tries to talk her out of it, but nobody tells Coretta Scott King what to do. So she says he'll put the and he so he's like, okay, I'll put the paperwork in motion. But Coretta does not have time to rest on her laurels. She goes and speaks to Betty's class on her way to speak with the UN and then go meet Gandhi in Betty.
1: Oh, just a normal Tuesday. Mm-hmm.
0: <clears throat> After the class, Betty and Coretta go to have some coffee and talk about and talk. And Coretta asks Betty if Malcolm was faithful to her. Um... Um, Betty says, yes, that Malcolm was very devout and was very faithful to her. Um, so Coretta tells her about a package that was sent to her in 1964.
1: Ooh, we're going to talk about that package.
0: Yeah. Basically audio sex tapes, I think. They don't ever say it, but I think that's what it was.
1: So it was allegedly recordings of, yes, of him having these illicit affairs but in the yeah. words of Coretta Scott King herself, there's nothing intelligible and quote, it's a bunch of mumbo jumbo.
0: Good. So she says, she talks about the package in 1964, that she just found out the FBI had sent to her.
1: So in this telling, she didn't know it when it came. Because. Yeah. In the real story, in case I forget, Martin Luther King, like, told her whenever it arrived, she asked him about it, and he was like, it's what? And she, I mean, she kind of backed him into a corner over it, and he was like, I guarantee you that's from the FBI. They're out to get me. They've been out to get me. And then it was confirmed, but they knew for always.
0: Okay. Um, So the FBI had sent them threatening to expose Martin if he accepted the Nobel Great. And that would be the Nobel Peace Prize. Right. Right. Betty comes home um, after that day and finds Cabilla on the couch because she wants to drop out of Princeton and go to school in Paris. Meanwhile, Coretta's just off doing, uh, leading the largest demonstration in Washington on the anniversary of the first March. Then she gives Congress a petition with six million signatures for the MLK holiday and how she had to take on the Senate against the sex tapes you know just another day for Coretta my god um, Betty and Coretta talk on the phone about how everything is fucked up she's like Betty's like you know you're trying to get your husband a holiday and I'm just trying to get my husband on a stamp right <laughs> um then Betty has to go do her radio show NBD. <laughs> Um, Kabila is home from Paris with a baby that she
1: oh, had. okay.
0: hmm Um, Betty and her children, including Kabila, uh, jump up and down, uh, from home because on the news, it is announced that uh, MLK Day has passed the Senate.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I know the ending, but yeah. still.
0: Um, Ruby's back because somehow it has become the 90s And Nelson Mandela is here (laughs) Great Um, Betty's doing all these amazing things But she's finding it hardest to help the one person She cared for the most, Kabila Betty goes to her apartment And meets Michael Fitzpatrick Who wipes his nose And then tries to shake her hand it's like he's never heard of COVID-19. Casual. Mm. Um, Kabila comes home and Betty offers to take care of Malcolm Jr. for a while. But she says no and they get in a tiny... It's not really an argument. It's like a discussion that... I mean, it ends well enough, you know. Um, Betty also, I love she- that his
1: name is Malcolm Jr. Because he didn't have any sons. So they still yeah. pass the name down.
0: Yeah. Betty and Coretta go shoe shopping, which I'd love to go shoe shopping with those two. They have lunch and talk about Kabila and how worried Betty is. Betty goes on the news to be interviewed about the controversial film coming out. They show a clip in black and white for some reason. And then the interviewer asks if she thinks this Farrakhan, the guy in the film, had anything to do with the murder of her husband. She says of course she does, because this is the guy that they saw like in the at the convention right. earlier in the and um so Farrakhan turns around and files a 2.4 billion dollar lawsuit against the New York Post. Great. Betty gets woken up in the middle of the night because Kabila is in jail because Farrakhan was killed and they think it was her idea. Betty promises to do whatever it takes to get her out of jail and to take care of Malcolm Jr. in the meantime. Betty goes to a lawyer's office to hear a tape of Kabila telling Michael Fitzpatrick, the nose wiper, and FBI informant to kill Farrakhan. Um, Betty is outraged because she was absolutely set up for this. The lawyer says they need to mount a defense based on her substance abuse problem. And also Farrakhan, who wasn't killed after all... Is offering to set up a fundraiser to help raise money for Camilla.
1: Well, that's what I was about to say. You were like Farrakhan was killed, and I was like they changed history for this movie.
0: Mm-mm, no, they didn't. She like when she was arrested, she thought that he had been murdered, and it was her, like gotcha. because of
1: her, right? Yeah.
0: So Betty will have to let him off the hook for Malcolm's murder, which the lawyer reminds her that the DA will never charge him with anyway, in order to save her daughter. Coretta comes to visit her and talk her through it. And I'm sorry, are these women supposed to be aging or do they just look magnificent for their entire life? Like um, what, what?
1: They looked magnificent for their entire lives. <sighs>
0: um, so Ruby's back to talk about Betty speaking so eloquently with Farrakhan and how it was broadcast to churches and mosques all over the world and how after charges against Cuba were dropped... Um, but her struggles continued. Malcolm Jr. went to live with Betty but was not happy about it at all. Betty wakes up later to the house being on fire again. There is fire everywhere. Betty goes to try to find Malcolm but ends up getting injured. Um, Malcolm actually set the fire thinking that she would just leave the house instead of going to try to find him. mm Cubilla um, is at the hospital and hugs Coretta when she arrives. Betty is all wrapped up in a hospital bed. When Coretta goes in, Betty tells Coretta to tell them it wasn't Malcolm's fault. Coretta promises that she will and that Betty, Betty is going to get better and everyone's going to take care of her for a while for a change. But Ruby comes on, back on to say that Betty hung on for 23 days before she passed. Ruby talks about how she was there along with politicians, celebrities, and friends to visit her. Um, we come back to the movie and see Coretta coming out of the post office with her Malcolm X stamps.
1: Oh, what a powerful scene. Like,
0: mm-hmm. Yeah. Ruby says Coretta died nine years later of ovarian cancer and how they embodied a spirit of service and faced tragedy but refused to let tragedy defeat them. Instead, they fought on for their children and the future for everyone the end
1: what a good movie it was really
0: good I actually think like if you if you can the lifetime movie app is only 499 um about no, 399 a month and it's on there right now and it was really good well I, it was a good movie
1: I pay like I've been paying for that app since we started this on the off chance that I have to watch a film so maybe I'll actually <laughs> use my subscription. There you cause, go. Because I've watched like four movies with it. So it feels pointless. But I'm like, it's a business experience. Yep. <laughs> Write sure it is. off. That's right. All right. So um, I said at the top of this that it's going to be a seven and a half, a half hour long episode. And that is because after culling down my notes, I'm at 25 pages. Right. So I'm going to skip around as I read because when I when I do biographical information about people, I feel like everything is important, and especially these two incredible people, everything is important. Um, but I know that this also is not, in fact, a marathon episode. So um, and we have to go to bed at some time in our lives. Only
0: forty. Right.
1: <laughs> so i'm going to try to keep it under four hours just like our very first episode (laughs) yay (laughs) all right
0: i'm just gonna be sending an email while you talk i feel like this is a good background noise to the email that i'm going to send um regarding the old white ladies and my sorority who after um it was announced earlier this week that we support the black lives matter movement and also are denouncing that um, Stonewall Jackson, Robert E. Lee, and some other guy, Jefferson Davis, were given honorary membership to our sorority back in 1860. We're revoking that. And they went absolutely insane. So,
1: um, Well, in the most sorority way I can say this, old white ladies, <gasps> fuck you.
0: Yeah.
1: Did I say it prickly? Well, huh? It was
0: kind of... Yeah, it was kind of great though because people were firing. You know, these ladies are like, you can come take my badge and blah, blah. blah. This is like uh, getting rid of all we stand for. And people were like,
1: give me your address. Yeah, what's your address? I'm on my way. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. All right. So um, I did a lot of research. Um, Of course, Wikipedia was a huge source of information, the Washington post, there were several interviews, especially after this movie dropped about, uh, by the children of Betty Shabazz, Shabazz and, uh, Coretta Scott King, um, about their friendship. And, um, first and foremost, their families were not consulted throughout the making of this film. And so the, um, the children all, Um, kind of respect this as a work of fiction that has facts in it. Okay. Um, They said that had they been consulted, they would have happily um, provided a better view on kind of the relationship. Not that it was a stilted relationship, but um, not, it was a little bit more of a professional relationship than the movie kind of makes it out to seem. So they weren't uh, like besties. Right. And there was also a third woman who went on tours with them that the, you mentioned just in passing the, um.
0: Merle Evers.
1: Uh huh. So she, okay. she went around with them a lot and spoke at events. And so. Oh my goodness. Um, because
0: her husband was also killed. Right. Yeah. Okay.
1: And that, so, see,
0: that's so interesting. And see, you're already teaching me things. I'm well, so there excited. you go.
1: So I am going to talk about the two title characters, of course, um, starting with Betty Shabazz. So, um, born Betty D. Sand San- Betty Dean Sanders uh, on March twenty eighth, nineteen thirty four. Um, she was. Um, she was born to an abusive mother, um, whom uh, while they were living in Detroit. Um, but when she was about 11 years old, she was actually taken in by Lorenzo and Helen Malloy, who were uh, a businessman and his wife. He, or she rather was a founding member of the housewives league of Detroit, which was a group of African American women who organized campaigns to support black owned businesses and boycott stores that refused to hire black employees. Um, she was also a member of the, um, national council of negro women and she was a member of the naacp and uh, the malloys were both active members in their church yes
0: also you can join the naacp for like 30 bucks
1: a year you should do it oh i definitely will as soon as we're done yes thank you for reminding me i didn't
0: know i i didn't realize like a i didn't realize that i as a white person could join
1: right and I didn't know if and I had any two, business I joining.
0: Realize, and I didn't know how tr- how like expensive it was or not until so my friend posted about earlier this week about how she joined herself, her husband, and their children.
1: And so, yes. very good. Thank you for letting me know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, um, despite their lessons on black reliance, however, um, the Malloys never spoke to Betty openly about racism and like the things that she would face in her life. Um, in, in a, um, in a memoir or some kind of reflection in 1995, she wrote, um, quote, race relations were not discussed and it was hoped that by denying the existence of race problems, the problems would go away. Anyone who openly discussed race relations was quickly viewed as a troublemaker. Um, but still... Um, While she was a child, there were two big uh, race riots, Um, one in 1942 when the Sojourner Truth housing project was desegregated and one the Mm -hmm. following year on Belle Isle. And both of those made up what Shabazz would later refer to as, quote, the psychological background for my formative years. So, after she graduated from high school, she left her foster parents' home in Detroit to study at the Tuskegee Institute, which is now Tuskegee University, which is an HBCU, Historically Black College University, in Alabama, Mm -hmm. that um, was actually the alma mater of her foster dad. Okay. Um, She was...
0: Yeah, I... I kind of wondered about that because in the movie they're talking about Tuskegee and how terrified her mother was for her to go there and how, like how horrible the racism was. And I was like, wait, then why did you go?
1: So she actually only spent a year there. Yeah. Um, so, but
0: also that's a damn shame because right. she should have been able to go. To... Yeah. Okay. I'm right. not going to shut up now. I'm
1: just... So no, it's fine. So, um, she intended to earn a degree in education. She wanted to be a teacher. Um, When she left Detroit to go to Alabama, she recalled her foster mother standing at the train station crying. Um, She later said that her foster mother was trying to mumble something, but the words wouldn't come out. By the time she arrived in Alabama, however, she felt she knew exactly what her foster mother was saying. Quote, the minute I got off the train, I knew what she was trying to say. She was trying to tell me in 10 words or less about racism. So. um, How do you even do that? Right nothing she said that nothing had prepared her for southern racism which was a whole new ball game um as long as she stayed on campus at tuskegee and avoided interacting with white people then she felt safe but on weekend trips to montgomery which is the nearest city um things would happen like black students would have to wait until every white person in the store had been helped before the staff would even serve them and that's if they received service at all um, when she would call and complain to the, to her foster parents about what happened, um, they wouldn't actually discuss the issue with her. Um, she said basically their attitude was if you're just quiet, it will go away. So as a result of her growing frustration and probably, um, an undiagnosed bout with depression, if I had to guess, um, she decided to change her field of study from education to nursing so the Mm -hmm. dean of nursing at the time lillian harvey told betty that she should probably consider transferring to the brooklyn state college school of nursing which was uh, an affiliate of tuskegee and so it would put her back up north um but it would still be a tuskegee affiliated school Her foster parents really didn't want her to go to New York, but she did anyway in 1953. So in New York, she said she encountered a different form of racism. Um, It was a much more... I want to say passive, but it wasn't. I think it was just racism for what it is, rather than Southern racism, where we, we as the South tie things up with a pretty bow. If that makes any sense you know um so when she was working at her first hospital the mount fiore hospital um black nurses were given worse assignments than white nurses white patients would were abusive and um aggressive toward black nurses um while the racial climate in new york was better than what was going on in alabama she said she wondered frequently whether she had merely exchanged Jim Crow racism for a more genteel prejudice. So during okay. her second year of nursing school at the um Brooklyn School, um, she was invited by an older nurse's aide to a Friday night dinner party at the Nation of Islam Temple in Harlem. The food was delicious, she recalled in 1992. I'd never tasted food like that. So after dinner, the woman asks if she wants to come to um, to the lecture, and Sanders agrees. Uh, oh, sorry, Betty agrees. Sanders is her maiden name. After the speech, the nurse's aide invites her to join the Nation of Islam, but Betty politely declines. When the mm-hmm. woman asks why she doesn't want to join the Nation of Islam, Betty replies that she didn't know she'd been brought there to join And then she said, besides, my mother would kill me. And additionally, I don't even understand the philosophy because she was raised Methodist. And at 13, she joined the Methodist church and had decided that she wanted to stay Methodist for the rest of her life. Okay. So the, um, the nurse's aide told her about the minister who was not at the temple that night. She said, just wait until you hear my minister talk. He's very disciplined. He's good looking. And all the sisters here want him. So, Betty,
0: come back, our pastor's hall,
1: listen whatever you can to recruit members right, right. <laughs> um, so Sanders said she enjoyed the food so much that she agreed to come back and at least meet the woman's minister at the second dinner. The nurse's aide told her the minister was present, and Betty thought to herself, big deal, like that's her quote in her memoir <laughs> like. Um,
0: it's like, uh, have, have you read Becoming by Michelle Obama?
1: Yes.
0: Oh, she was like so, like she thought he was so annoying when she first uh-huh. met him. She was like, oh, you're like good looking and annoying and I hate you. And then she fell in love with him.
1: Did you oh. read it or did you listen to it? I listened to it. So did I. And in her voice, it's so good. Like
0: It's so much better, I think, than reading it. because That's why I like to listen to memoirs because-
1: It's often I the author-
0: it's their tone and that really conveys what they
1: were thinking. Uh Uh-huh. So, um, however, she then caught a glimpse of Malcolm X and her entire demeanor changed. She said, quote, then I looked over and saw this man on the extreme right aisle, sort of galloping to the podium. He was tall. He was thin. And the way he was galloping, it looked as though he was someplace much more important than the podium. He got to the podium and I sat up straight. I was impressed with him. So she meets him again at a later dinner party and they have a long conversation about Betty's life. She talks about her childhood in Detroit, the racial hostility she had encountered in Alabama and all of her studies in New York. And he tells her things about um, the condition of African-Americans and the causes of racism in New York, especially. Um, So she starts to see this things from a different perspective. She said, I, had a, I really had a lot of pent-up anxiety about my experience in the South, and Malcolm reassured me that it was understandable how I felt. So um, part of her big problem, she felt, was not blaming her foster parents, but that her foster parents' attitude was just ignore it and say nothing and then eventually it'll get better, um, was not her, the right approach for her. Uh-huh. So Betty starts attending all of his lectures at the temple in Harlem. Um, he always comes to see her afterward and he'd ask her a lot of questions. Um, and I like to imagine that he's like, you know, young adult guy just really seeking affirmation from this, from the beautiful woman he's developed a crush on. He's like, did you like it? What was your favorite part? What did I do wrong? What would tell me how I looked? Did I look like I, you know, like, <laughs>
0: Am I hot? Right, exactly.
1: like me? Um, so Betty said she was impressed with his leadership and his work ethic. Um, she felt that he was selfless when it came to helping others, but he had no one to lean on when he needed help of his own. And so she thought maybe she could be that person. And she really was just interested in being his friend initially, and it evolved very quickly. Um, mm mm-hmm. So then he starts to pressure her to join the nation of Islam. So she finally converted. And um, like many of the members of the nation of Islam, she changes her last name to X to represent the family name of her African ancestors. She could never know. So if you're not familiar with the ideals of the nation of Islam, I'm not going to go too much into it because I'm not super well-versed, but one of the things is re um, reattaching to your African roots and how, since the surnames were lost when slavery was brought over to America, then last names were changed to X because of the deleted last name. And so that's why like Malcolm X's last name was X. That was traditional within the temple.
0: That's really interesting. I didn't know that.
1: So, um, they did not actually have any kind of like traditional or conventional courtship. One-on-one dates were actually contrary to the teachings of the nation of Islam. So they actually went on like group dates with dozens up to hundreds of people. Um, He frequently took groups to visit New York's museums and libraries and landmarks. And he always invited Betty to go with them. Um, And although they never discussed the subject, she suspected that he was interested in marriage. So one day he called and, like, he called and asked her to marry him. And then they got married on January 14th of 1958. It was, like, this very um, lackluster thing, you know, just like, hey, we're getting married. Cool, what time? You know, (laughs) Um, yeah, They happened to just kind of on happenstance um, pick the day that she also became a fully licensed nurse. So it was a big day for Aww. her. Um, yeah, it was. So at first their relationship followed the Nation of Islam strictures concerning marriage. Malcolm X set the rules and Betty X obediently followed. Um, but in 1969, Shabazz wrote quote, his indoctrination was so thorough even to me that it has become a pattern for our family's lives. And over time, the family dynamic changed because he would make small concessions toward her demands for more independence. So I mentioned earlier that that was a thing that they kind of always fought about. Um, she always wanted more and more independence. Um, and so it started out with like, this was a another quote that from 1969, uh, quote we would have little family talks they began at first with Malcolm telling me what he expected of a wife but the first time I told him what I expected of him as a husband it came as a shock after dinner one night he said boy Betty something you said hit me like a ton of bricks here I've been going along having our little workshops with me talk doing all the talking and you doing all the listening so he concluded that their marriage could be a mutual exchange um so in he concluded yeah god right so in 1958 they had their first daughter atala who was named after attila the hun um then their second daughter is kubila who uh was born in 1960 and she's actually named after Kublai khan And then uh, Ilyasa, who was born in 1962, she's named after Elijah Muhammad. And um, Gamila Lumumba is born in 1964, and she's named after Patrice Lumumba. Um, And so on March... So we're not to the twins yet. On March 8th, 1964, Malcolm X announces that he's leaving the Nation of Islam. And he and Betty X, who um, has... Now picked the last name Shabazz, um, become Sunni Muslims. Right. So, um, on nineteen no, not on nineteen sixty five. That's that's a year, Paul. <laughs> on February twenty first of nineteen sixty five, um, in Manhattan's Audubon Ballroom, Malcolm X is speaking to a crowd, uh, or speaking to a meeting of the organization of Afro American Unity when a fight breaks out in the crowd of 400 as malcolm x and his bodyguards move to quiet the fight a man rushes forward and shoots malcolm in the chest with a sawed-off shotgun two other men charge the stage and fire handguns hitting malcolm x a total of 16 times so wow yeah so she's like overkill Shabazz is in the audience near the stage with her daughters, and when she heard the first gunfire, she actually pulled her daughters under the chairs and shielded them with her body. Um, and she is pregnant at this time, as you mentioned. So all this is happening yes. while she's pregnant. Um, and when she looks up, she sees that, like when the shooting stops, she looks up and sees her husband on the ground. So she performs CPR. Uh, until the police officers can get there with a stretcher, I don't know why it was police officers, but it says police officers got there with a stretcher. So, um,
0: I have opinions, but I will not share them.
1: So, actually, people in the crowd caught and beat one of the assassins, um, and he was arrested on the scene, and then um. Eyewitnesses identified two more substance uh, substances, no suspects, and mm-hmm. all three men were uh, members of the nation of Islam. They were convicted and sentenced to life in prison. Mm-hmm. so um, for weeks after Malcolm X is assassinated, she suffers from nightmares, she has trouble sleeping. She keeps seeing the death of her husband over and over in her dreams. Um, she also doesn't know how she's going to support herself or her family. Um, so luckily for them in this situation, his autobiography hits the shelves and she receives half of the royalties. Uh, the other half go to, um, Alex Haley, who assisted uh, Malcolm X in writing the book. Um, so then actually after the publication of Roots, cause Alex Haley also wrote Roots He signs Uh a portion of his royalties for Roots over to Shabazz too. Oh, no, no, sorry. After Roots goes bestseller, he signs over his portion of Malcolm X's book. Sorry, I knew I'd read that wrong. Oh, okay, okay,
0: okay.
1: Um, So, um, this is when actor and activist Ruby Dee um, starts the Committee of Concerned Mothers to raise funds to buy a house and pay the educational expenses for the Shabazz family. Um, They hold a series of benefit concerts and they raise $17,000 and the family is uh, and Betty is able to buy a large two family home in Mount Vernon, New York, Um, actually from a Congress member, Bella Abzug. Yes. So looking back, um, Shabazz said that she made an unrealistic decision to isolate herself because of her husband's assassination but she realized that giving up because of her husband's death would not help the world. Quote, it is impossible right. to create an environment for the children to grow in and develop in isolation. It is imperative that one mix in society on some level and at some time. So while she's working through that, she takes a bilgr- pilgrimage to Mecca. Um, her husband had done the same the year before, right before he was assassinated. And mm-hmm. um, she says quote, I really don't know where I'd be today if I hadn't gone to Mecca to make Hajj shortly after Malcolm was assassinated. This is what helped me put back on track. Going to Mecca, making Hajj was very good for me because it made me think of all the people in the world who loved me and were there for me, who prayed that I would get my life back together. I stopped focusing on the people who were trying to tear me and my family apart. Oh my gosh. So she returns from Mecca and one of the um somebody else who was on a pilgrimage to Mecca had met her there and after they kind of created a friendship, um this other pilgrim calls her Bahiya, which means beautiful and radiant. And what a Aww. beautiful name. Yes. So that's gorgeous. She does give birth to two twins, um that's usually how many twins there are, in case you were wondering. Yeah, that, yeah,
0: that's typically... Typically, that's how twins work.
1: And their names are Malika and Malak. And they're both named after Malcolm. Aww. Um, so... Um, she returns from Mecca and she's raising her six children by herself. Um, she is making basically the equivalent of an annual salary from the royalties for the Malcolm X autobiography. Um, cool. And then in 1966, she sells the rights of the autobiography um, for like the movie rights to it. Um, so she also authorizes the publication of his speeches, which provide another source of income. And so um, she then um enrolls her daughters in daycare and she becomes an an active member of the like p um the pta for the daycare um in time she becomes their representative on the school board actually and um she eventually becomes the president of the westchester daycare council and she starts to accept the speaking engagements at colleges and universities. She speaks about the black nationalist philosophy of Malcolm X, but she also speaks about her role as a wife and mother. Um, she felt that some of the images of her husband projected by the media were misrepresentations. She says Mm -hmm. they attempted to promote him as a violent person, a hater of whites. She explained he was a sensitive man, a very understanding person. And yes, he disliked the behavior of some whites. He had a reality based agenda. So, um, as her daughters grow older, she sends them to private school and to summer camps. Um, they join Jack and Jill, which is a social club for the children of well-off African Americans. And, um, as she is fulfilling all these obligations and kind of reintegrating in society, she realizes that she wants to go back to school and complete and, um, get another degree. So she enrolls at the Jersey city state college, which is now New Jersey city university. And she gets a degree. Uh, she finishes that degree in education that she'd abandoned when she became a nurse. Right she completes her undergraduate studies in just a year and then decides to go ahead and earn a master's in health administration. Mm-hmm. So then in 1972, she enrolls for her educational doctorate in higher education administration and curriculum development. And, um, for three years, she drives to this university every Monday morning and returns home every Wednesday, like and returns home on Wednesday night. um, And in 1975, she defends her dissertation and earns her doctorate. Um, Wow. So she starts teaching pretty immediately at Medgar Evers College. In um, January of 1976, she's an associate professor of health sciences, and she's working with the nursing program. Um, It was a 90% black college and a predominantly working class school with an average age of 26 so they were really doing some amazing work for people who um, typically would not be considered your traditional college student Um, black women made up most of the faculty hey and 75 percent of the students were female two-thirds of them were mothers Excellent. I love it. And those were all the reasons that she kind of had a pick of colleges she could teach at, especially considering the star power of her being the wife of Malcolm X. But it was these factors that made her want to go to Medgar Evers because she knew how hard it was to go to school as a mom. Yeah. So by 1980, she's overseeing the health sciences department and the college president decides that she could be more effective if she's in an administrative position and pulled out of the classroom. So she's promoted to the Director of Institutional Advancement, and she becomes the booster and like head fundraiser of the college. A year later, she's given tenure, and then four years later, she's given a new title, the Director of Institutional Advancement and Public Affairs, and she actually held that position at the college until her death. Mm-hmm. So in the seventies and eighties, she is involved in all of these volunteer activities. Um, President Ford in 1975 invited her to serve on the American Revolution Bicentennial Council. Um, she serves on an advisory committee for planning the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, um, in 1984 New York hosts a convention for the National Council of Negro Women and she was asked to host that um she becomes an active member of the NAACP and the National Urban League um and when Nelson and Winnie Mandela visit Harlem during 1990 she is asked to introduce Winnie Mandela at all of their engagements
0: yes and they talk about this and um how when they saw each other they just like ran
1: to each other and like sobbed in each other's arms Uh it was like
0: a super moving moment yes for it
1: yeah so throughout this shabazz befriends marley evers williams who's the widow of medgar evers that the college is named for um i don't know if he founded it i meant to look that up or if it's just named for him so i don't have an answer for that but um Mm -hmm. I will Google. Thank you. And she also meets and befriends Coretta Scott King. Um, they had the common experience of losing their activist husbands at a young age and raising their children as single mothers. The press came to refer to the three who made numerous joint public appearances as the movement widows, which what a cool name. The press finally got one right. Yeah. Um. So... Um, Evers Williams and King were frequent guests at Medgar's, at Medgar Evers College. Shabazz visits the King Center in Atlanta. Um, writing about Betty Shabazz, Evers Williams described her as, quote, a free spirit in the best sense of the word. When she laughed, she had this beauty. When she smiled, it lit up the whole room.
0: Aww. Um,
1: so, for many years... Obviously Betty Shabazz harbors resentment toward the nation of Islam and particularly, uh, Louis Farrakhan, who she, um, felt was, um, very prominent in the uh, role of the, uh, the murder of her husband. He in fact said in a 1993 speech, quote, was your, was Malcolm your traitor or, or ours? And if we dealt with him like a nation deals with a traitor, what the hell business is it of yours? A nation has to be able to deal with traitors and cutthroats and turncoats.
0: You couldn't hear that, could you? What? I opened a website and a bunch of music
1: started playing. No, I could not.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: Um, I was like, I couldn't hear my talking. Cause do I need to rewind? <laughs> no. Um. So in a 1994 interview, Gabe Pressman asked Shabazz whether Farrakhan had anything to do with Malcolm X's death. And she replies, oh, of course, yes. Nobody kept it a secret. It was a badge of honor. Everyone talked about it. Yes. So he denies the allegations and says he never had anything to do with Malcolm's death. um, And said, although he said that he um, created an atmosphere that allowed Malcolm to be assassinated, which... It's a very Trumpy an answer. answer. Okay.
0: Um, Medgar Evers College was um, named
1: after him, not okay. founded by him. Okay. That's what I assumed, but I, like I said, I hadn't done that research. So. Because in- it was
0: founded after, he was founded in 1970, and he uh, was murdered on in 1963.
1: Okay. So in January 1995, Kabila Shabazz is charged with trying to hire an assassin to kill Farrakhan um, in retaliation for the, mother of her, for the murder of her father. Um, he actually surprises the family when he defends Kabila, saying that he did not think she was guilty and hoped that she would not be convicted. So that may Betty and Farrakhan shake hands on the stage of the Apollo Theater during this public event, intended to mm-hmm. raise money for her legal defense. Um some heralded the evening as a reconciliation, but others just thought she was doing whatever she had to do in order to protect her daughter. Of course. Right. And so regardless of the um, motivation, $250,000 was raised that evening for her legal defense. Aww. Um, in the aftermath, she maintains a very cool relationship with Farrakhan, um, but she agrees to to speak at his million man march in october again that's her doing whatever it takes for her kid like i'll play nice that means i have to go speak at this stupid event Um, yes so kabila accepts a plea agreement with respect to the charges in which she maintains her innocence but accepts responsibility for her actions so So an alfred plea yeah okay so um under the terms of the agreement, she's required to undergo psychological counseling and treatment for drug and alcohol abuse for two years in order to avoid a prison sentence. And right. so during for the duration of her treatment, Kabila's 10-year-old son, Malcolm, is sent to live with Shabazz at her apartment in Yonkers, which is my favorite city name.
0: Yeah, Yonkers.
1: <laughs> oh. So, on June 1st, 1997, her 12 year old grandson, Malcolm, sets a fire in Shabazz's apartment. Shabazz suffers burns over 80% of her body and remains in intensive oh care God. for three weeks. Um, she underwent five skin replacement operations as doctors oh my God. tried to replace the damaged skin, um, but she died of her injuries on June 23rd, 1997. And Um, malcolm shabazz is sentenced to 18 months in juvenile detention for manslaughter and arson oh now that's so sad in the interviews i read with kabila and her sisters um they said that one of the things lifetime got really wrong was like betty having these final words with coretta while she's on her deathbed 80% 80% right. of her body was burned. She could not speak. Like, they made that abundantly right. clear.
0: Well, she wasn't, like, chat. They weren't chatting. Right. Like, she was mumbling.
1: But right. Also, but she yeah, wasn't I making any that. sound in those final days, is what they yeah. said. Like.
0: Also, if you want to know anything about how horrible treatments in the burn unit are, like, just Google it. It's awful. Yep. It is like that is one of my worst fears is getting a burn that I would have to go and be treated in the burn unit in because they like they peel off all your dead skin every day so it allows your new skin to grow.
1: Keep talking dirty to me. I'm gonna <laughs> vomit. Um
0: oh, so... That's what guys always say when I talk dirty to them.
1: <laughs> so more than two thousand people attend a memorial service for Shabazz. Um People in attendance include Coretta Scott King and Marley Evers, of course, Maya Angelou, mm-hmm. Ruby D. and, um, the New York governor, George Pataki, and four New York City mayors, Abraham Beam, Ed Koch, David Dinkins, and, of course, everyone's favorite, Rudy Giuliani. Dude, fuck that guy. Um, and, um... President Bill Clinton can't be bothered to show it, but he does send the U.S. Secretary of Labor to deliver deliver a tribute from him. Um, Sure. In a statement released after... Clinton
0: was probably busy getting a blowjob, so... Can't really blame him for that, can
1: you? I mean, we all have needs. (laughs) In a statement released after Shabazz's death, civil rights leader Jesse Jackson says... Excuse me, she never stopped giving and never, and she never became cynical. She leaves today the legacy of one who epitomized hope and healing. Oh, God So, um as I mentioned, she's been portrayed in film several times. Of course, there was the Betty and Coretta film which you watched. Um Angela Bassett played her in the film Malcolm X, and then in a less prominent role in Panther. Um, and actually, Yolanda King, the daughter of Martin Luther King and Coretta Scott King, played Shabazz in a <laughs> 1981 TV movie, Death of a Prophet.
0: No way. That's so cool. Yeah. Man. I have so much to learn, but it's like exciting stuff.
1: Right? Um. All right. Are you ready for Coretta Scott King? Better hang on because we've got another badass woman. Yes. Um. So... Kreta Scott King, um, was born in Alabama. She is the third of four children in her family. Where
0: do you know where in Alabama she was born?
1: Heiberger. Okay. I don't know where that is. Okay. Um,
0: sorry. I've been doing a lot of like research into the history of my family, which as you know, is from Alabama. And so these, first of all, the town names in Alabama are wild, but second of all, it's just like, I'm trying to figure out the geography
1: of everything. Right. So, um, Coretta's mom is actually known for her musical talent and her singing voice. Um, and because of that, Coretta develops this love for, um, music as well. Um, she, uh, her father was one of the first black people in their town to own a vehicle. Um, he was a business owner before that he was a policeman. Um, and so they were this really active well-to-do black family that were kind of activists in their own right. Um, Mm -hmm. So she, um, she starts working to kind of help the family's income at age 10. She Mm -hmm. had an older sister named Edith and Edith becomes important. Um, she also had an older sister named Eunice who did not survive childhood. She has a younger brother named Obadiah. Um, and they had a family farm that she starts working on during the great depression. The Scott family picks cotton to help earn money and to, and they actually have to share a bedroom with their parents. Um, so she attends this one room elementary school, five miles from their home. Um, And then later she gets bused to Lincoln Normal School, which, um, is nine miles from her home, but it was the closest black high school in Marion, Alabama. Um,
0: I know where that is.
1: Okay. So her mom was actually the bus driver and she bused all the black teenagers from the area to school. Um, and so. By the time that she enters school, Lincoln has suspended tuition and charges $4 and 50 cents per year. Um, in her last three years, she actually becomes the leading soprano for her school's choir. Um, Aww. she directs a choir in her church. She graduates valedictorian from her school where she played trumpet in the band and she played piano. She sang in the choir and she was in school musicals. Um, And she actually first enrolls in Antioch Antioch College in Yellow Springs, Ohio during her senior year. Um, She's she's
0: like, get me the fuck out of Alabama. Uh
1: Uh-huh. So (laughs) she gets accepted to Antioch and she applies for the Interracial Scholarship Fund for financial aid. During her last two years in high school, um, she lives with her parents while her older sister is already at Antioch is part of the Antioch Program for Interracial Education, um, which is a program that actually recruited non-white students and gave them full scholarships to help diversify the white campus. So Coretta starts attending and she says, quote, Antioch had envisioned itself as a laboratory and democracy, but had no black students. Edith became the first African-American to attend Antioch on a completely integrated basis and was joined by two other black female students in the fall of 1943. Pioneering is never easy. And all of us who followed my sister at Antioch owe a great debt of gratitude. Oh, so, um, while she's at Antioch, Coretta Scott, Um, studies music with Walter Anderson. He is the first non-white chair of an academic department at any historically white college. Um, she becomes politically active. Um, she joins the civil rights movement. She joins the Antioch chapter of the NAACP. Um, she joins the, the college's race relations and civil liberties committees, Um, Juniper has joined us to learn about Black Lives Matter. I get it. So um, the board denies her request to perform her second year. So um, she is doing a a teaching certification. But to get Mm -hmm. it back then, student teaching was basically two full years. And the school board at Yellow Springs wouldn't allow her to teach a second year. So then she wasn't going to be able to finish her teaching certificate so she well
0: fuck that all the way <coughs>
1: right she appeals to the board at antioch college and they find a place for her in their lab school on campus so many teaching colleges have um little schools on campus that are actual public schools that um usually are mostly inhabited or inhabited are usually enrolled by um children of professors at the school and things like that but it's an opportunity for students at the school to learn how to be good teachers. And usually the lab schools have very good teachers.
0: I know there's a, um, there's like a preschool, like daycare and preschool on the campus of my college that, um, they do like early childhood education. Like the teachers will go in and stuff there. Yeah.
1: So, um, while she is doing her, um, second year of teaching, um, (gasps) Oh, sorry it's not funny Judy attacked Aaron <laughs> so um,
0: my boobs will never be the same oh my
1: god okay while she's doing her student teaching she actually gets hired um, to babysit for the Lithgow family or Lithgow family um, and she babysits this weird kid named John Lithgow like the actor I was going to say, any <laughs> relation to John Lithgow? Yeah, yeah. She's his babysitter. Okay. So she transfers away from Antioch because she gets a full scholarship to the New England Conservatory of Music in Boston, which is top-tier music school in the United States. Yes. Um. So it's while she's studying singing at that school that um. she meets Martin Luther King Jr., um, a mutual friend gave Martin her phone number when he was asking about girls on campus, and so she's going through like a list of her friends, and Coretta is basically the only one who um, catches Martin's attention. So she actually had no interest meeting uh, by, him
0: by name,
1: or she like I guess she describes them, and it's actually oh. that she's politically active that uh, raises his intrigue. So can we pause for one second i need to get my charger yes so yeah um coretta is not even like a little bit impressed by him um she's not interested in the meeting but her friend says that he has a promising future so coretta eventually just agrees to meet him um so i mean let's talk about how we need to let the women do the work here because
0: that's three people we've talked in this podcast that are powerful black women that did not have any interest in their husband right
1: <laughs> um so king uh martin calls her on the telephone and when they meet in person she makes a comment about how she's surprised her by how short he is <laughs> <laughs> And he tells her She's nagging him. Right? Well, he tells her that she has all the qualities that he's looking for in a wife. And she's like, You just met me. She says, In fact, she says, I don't see how you can say that. You don't even know me. But he's assured and he asks to see her again and she accepts his invitation to a weekend party. So they see each other regularly. Um, and two weeks after he meets Coretta Martin sends a letter home to his mom that says he's met his wife. Their dates are super exciting and they consist of political and racial discussions. And, like, yes, those are important, but also, can you just take me to a movie? Like, yeah. <laughs> um,
0: She's like, Martin, I want to go see a
1: movie. <laughs> so. Um, She's
0: like. Betty's boyfriend takes her out for ice cream.
1: Yes. (laughs) So about uh, six months into their relationship, she meets his parents. Um, So once... Meeting with so she'd had relationships before this, but none of them were super serious. But one time she like met with Edith like in a face to face conversation that was her sister. Um, she details her feelings for Martin and and how much like Edith finally says that it's clear that she has legitimate feelings for him um, and that she's actually a uh, bit impressed with all the things she's heard with Martin and his demeanor. So like when you get sister's blessing like you're you're good. Um so Coretta envisions her future in the music industry. Like I said she was studying music. She was a very um gifted soprano and a pianist and she was like kicking yes. ass at the music conservatory.
0: In the movie when she goes to talk about uh our talk to uh, Betty's class when Betty's teaching you know they open it up for questions and of course one of the girls is like did you always think you'd be a political activist and she's like L-O-L no I wanted to be an opera singer I
1: I would have loved if then she tried to sing and Mary J. Blige cut her off and this is took singing, over girl. <laughs> yeah. so um, she says though that she knows that she can't pursue music that seriously if she's going to marry um martin luther king because he wants to be a minister and like the world would just be so very different um but he um possesses the qualities that she likes in a man she said so she found herself becoming more involved with every passing moment um Mm -hmm. so when she finally meets these parents because i mentioned that and then kind of got off track um, when she finally meets the parents, they are unimpressed. Oops. And um, the the talk turns to her uh, plans of a career in music and how that's not fitting for a Baptist minister's wife. Um, so she doesn't say anything. She just glares at him, like, because Coretta Scott knew what she was doing. Um, so then... Martin Sr. asks if she takes his son seriously. And then um, he said that there's many other women that his son was interested in and he had a lot to offer. So Coretta Scott goes, well, I got a lot to offer too. Like she is not taking it from anybody. Um, So then they decide that before they can give their blessing on this relationship, they need to meet members of her family. So she gives them Edith's number and they sit down to have lunch with Edith one day and Martin senior starts to ask Edith about the relationship between her sister and his son. And Edith crosses her arm and says that, um, Coretta is an excellent choice for Martin Luther King, but that she did not need to bargain for a husband. (laughs) So shots fired, right? So um on Valentine's Day of 1953, they announced their plans to marry. Um they set a wedding date in June, but um I don't understand this statement that Coretta did not have a commitment to marrying King. So I don't know if like they set a date, but he hadn't officially proposed or what. Because he okay. d- he did eventually propose. Um, and clearly they got married. Um, so when he he decides he wants to go get his doctorate and he tells his family he's getting a doctorate and he's marrying Coretta. And that's when Martin finally, like Martin Sr. finally gives his blessing. In 1964, Time profiles Martin Luther King Jr. because he's chosen as man of the year. Um, and Aww. they refer to Coretta as a talented and promising young soprano um so they get married and it's a very simple ceremony on the lawn of her mother's house on june 18th in 1953 um her his father performs the ceremony and she makes him take out the part of the vows that say she's going to obey her husband yes queen and that is something that betty shabazz's family talks about in the interview that like Coretta Scott and Betty Shabazz were both so similar in like their need for independence that, and they just went mm-hmm. about it differently and that's why their camaraderie worked like, so well.
0: Okay. Yeah, that makes sense.
1: Um, so she completes her degree in voice and piano and then they move to Montgomery, Alabama. Um, that's where he accepts an invitation to, uh, be the head pastor of Dexter Avenue Baptist church um but then she said quote before long we found ourselves in the middle of the montgomery montgomery bus boycott and martin was elected leader of the protest movement as the boycott continued i had a growing sense that i was involved in something so much greater than myself something so something of profound historic importance I came to the realization that we had been thrust into the forefront of a movement to liberate oppressed people, not only in Montgomery, but also throughout our country, and this movement had worldwide implications. I felt blessed to have been called to be part of such a noble and historic cause. You know,
0: if you look at the history of Alabama, like against like normal southern conservatism. Mm-hmm. They go to the extreme. Mhm. Like as I learned I'm um, as I'm learning in my family and I think I've told you this before as I'm learning in my family research, my family were not just Baptists. They were primitive Baptists. Right. And actually um one side of our family from Alabama still holds a segregated reunion, which we, not in like white and people of color, but between the, the men and women are separated from oh my each gosh. other. Mm-hmm. So that's how they do their family reunion every year. Wow. So it is, it, you know, it, it's always a joke, you know, in Sweet Home Alabama, Reese Witherspoon says, people need a passport to come down here, but they really, really do. Right. It is a whole different world out down there. It's crazy.
1: So, um, they move, like, while they're in Alabama and he's pastoring this church, um, they move into the parsonage, uh, and... She becomes a member of the choir. She teaches Sunday school. She, um... She does the
0: pastor's wife thing. uh Uh-huh.
1: Yeah. They welcome their first child, Yolanda, on November 17, 1955. Um, Which, what a beautiful name. uh Uh-huh.
0: I'm also kind of obsessed with the name Coretta.
1: Yes. I think it's gorgeous. So, um... After he becomes involved in the boycott, the bus boycott, um, he gets a lot of threats. And in 1956, um, she answers numerous phone calls threatening her husband's life. Um, so this becomes a thing. Like, they, she starts... Um, two days after the integration of the bus service... On December 23rd of that year, a gunshot rings through the front door of the King home while Coretta and her husband and Yolanda were asleep. Um, they were unharmed. On Christmas Eve, she took her daughter to her parents' house and met with her siblings there as well. Um, King joins the next day. They're trying to keep this, like, happy family front. I mean, they are a happy family, but they're trying to keep things normal despite the threats that are rolling in. So... Mm-hmm. um So as 1956 gets rolling, Coretta takes a more active role in advocating civil rights legislation. Um, she makes her first appearance at a concert that year in a high school auditorium in Birmingham. Um, the performances, um, sponsored by Alpha Phi Alpha, which is her fraternity. Um, she uh, do, 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 she uses this concert that she put on at a New York gala two years earlier and she told the story of the Montgomery Boyce, bus boycott boys boycott mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> yeah that's it um, so the concert is important to her because she realizes then that she can participate in the civil rights movement and still continue her professional music career Mm-hmm. um so she um on september 3rd 1958 she accompanies her husband and ralph abernathy ralph abernathy to a courtroom he had been arrested king had been arrested for um loitering and failing to obey an officer a few weeks later king visited martin's parents in atlanta at that time she learned that he had been stabbed while signing copies of his book um On September 20th of 1958, yeah. She rushed to go see her husband and stayed with him for the remainder of his time in the hospital recovering. Um, They go on this, in February of 1959, they go on this five-week tour of India. Um, They're invited to speak at hundreds of engagements. So she actually sings at all of his speaking events.
0: Okay, I have a question. Uh And I think maybe I've just misheard you, but... Alpha Phi Alpha, was that?
1: that? That's his.
0: Okay. Sorry, I, you said, I, I it was said hers. hers. I, was
1: like, I said hers, okay. and I just realized what I'd said. Yeah. I was
0: like, that's immense. Okay, yeah, I got you. Okay, got you.
1: <laughs> um, sorry, thank you for clearing that up. No so, um,
0: with all your Greek
1: life questions. <laughs> right. So, because my fraternity is not even real Greek life, like, because we're a music secret society. Um, mm. So. On January 30th... No, they're
0: not real, freak life.
1: No, I know we're not. Um, on na- January 30th, 1956, um, Coretta and one of the members of her congregation are at the house uh, at the parsonage when they hear the sound of a brick striking the concrete on the front porch. And Coretta just feels in her soul that they need to move to the back room. So um, they retreat to the back room where Yolanda is sleeping. Um, and there's an explosion that rocks the house and, um, fills the front room with smoke and shattered glass. So, um, nobody, one person witnessed the event, but they didn't get anything matching the description. So they never can get a positive identification on who bombed Martin Luther King's house.
0: Listen, whether you believe in psychic abilities or whatever, never, ever, ever discount a mother's intuition.
1: Right. Um, so both her parents and his parents insist that she leave with the baby. And I guess Yolanda's not that, like well, not a baby baby anymore, but leave with Yolanda. Like a toddler. Right. Mm-hmm. To go stay with either his parents or her parents. But she refuses Um, and she basically says that her insistence on staying empowered Martin, like empowered Martin Luther King Jr. so much that she realizes, quote, how much she meant to Martin in terms of supporting him and what he was doing. So
0: it reminds me of when everyone was encouraging the, the Royal family in World War II to leave.
1: Uh huh.
0: Um, kensington and they refused and they stayed
1: right yeah so um martin luther king jr is arrested again on october 19th of 1960 this time for picketing in a department store um hayes released three days later and then do you know how dumb that sounds Uh uh-huh so he's released and then sent back to jail for driving with an Alabama license while living in Georgia. He was sentenced to four months of hard labor in jail. After the second arrest, she believes that he won't make it out. And so, um, she makes calls until she gets, um, the chance to call, um, JFK. And oh, shit. Yep. Um, he was campaigning at the time, he was not the president yet, but um, he calls her back, expresses sympathy, and agrees to the proposal to help get Martin Luther King out. So, mm-hmm. um, sometime after that, this Bob 1964, uh, 60, oh. 1960. Okay. Um, so then Kennedy presidency starts, um, and he's arrested again on April 12th of 1963. And, um, so she calls president Kennedy again, and he had told her, if you need anything else, give me a call. So, um, he forwards her call to the white house switchboard and basically says, take a message. So this is kind of when she sees that the, um, that their movement is only convenient when it's convenient. Like it's only important when Mm -hmm. it's convenient for somebody and when it's not, then it's not. Um,
0: Now, whether or not it was out of convenience, Bobby Kennedy did do a lot to help her family.
1: Yes. And so, um, so finally the next day, president Kennedy reports to King that the FBI had been sent to Birmingham and confirmed that her husband was fine. He was allowed to speak with her on the phone and told her to inform um, someone of Kennedy's involvement. She told her husband of her assistance from the Kennedys, to which her husband said, um, that's the reason why everyone is suddenly being so polite. So yeah. So he kind of got involved underneath things, but it wasn't going to be a, a public situation like it had been. Um, right so um do it sorry i'm trying to look something up real quick that's okay uh doot, doot, doot.
0: so in may of like kennedy had his hands full for sure right sure And in May of 1961, so I think we're still in 60, but... Well, now
1: we're in 1963. This next one, like the one we're talking about right now is April of 1963.
0: Okay, so April or May of 1961 is when the Freedom Riders ran through um, Alabama and they were beaten and their bus was set on fire and my great-uncle was the governor of Alabama at that time. So, yeah.
1: Right. Right. So, um, regarding the March on Washington, Coretta said, quote, it was as though heaven had come down. Coretta had been home all day with their children since the birth of their daughter, Bernice, had not allowed her to attend Easter Sunday church services. She'd issued Aww. her own statement regarding the aid of the president instead of doing as Martin had requested in calling Wyatt Walker to tell him about the involvement. Um, so she issues mm-hmm. this kind of public statement And um, so then people tell, say that this portrays her as um, made her portrayed by reports rather, quote, as an anxious new mother who may have confused her White House fantasies with reality. So media is saying now that like, oh, well, she is just a hysterical mom. Well, and too, I don't think...
0: I don't think she had any and and who am i to say because right i don't know her but i don't think they had any inclination that he would be president right i think she was just trying to help him make change in this country and that doesn't mean you have to be president like oh god i can't
1: right So, um, Coretta goes to a woman, uh, to a women's strike for peace rally in New York in the early days of November, 1963. Um, she speaks at a meeting held in the national Baptist church and she joins the March from central park to the UN headquarters. The March was timed to celebrate the group's second anniversary and celebrated the successful completion of the limited nuclear test ban treaty. And Mm -hmm. This is when they um, learn of JFK's assassination when reports initially indicate that he'd only been wounded. Um, yeah. King joins her husband upstairs and watches as they announce the president's death. And then she sits and has to be Martin's strength because he's so shaken because the Kennedys had done so much for him at this point. So That's so sad. So you mentioned this, but as... Um, Martin Luther King was on tour talking and, and demonstrating and protesting. Um, Coretta Mm -hmm. Scott King was at home keeping the house running. And so she was like opening his mail and getting shit done. She's got kids. She's got shit to do. Right. Um, And so the way they, the way that everyone reports this is like, she was going through his mail, but she was opening his mail Mm -hmm. and like paying bills and shit like that. Like
0: now in the movie, they don't, dance around that she says like i always open his mail it was not like yeah
1: right so um the fbi learned that martin luther king jr would be out of office by the time like at this time so they send her some tapes um and they make sure that she'll be the one to open them um j edgar hoover even advised to mail quote it from a southern state so it would stick out to her Coretta sorted the tapes with the rest of the mail, listened to them and immediately called her husband. And the quote that came from, I don't remember who said that it gave the Bureau a great deal of pleasure with the tone and tenor of her reactions. But the more I read, it's more like she was like, this came, is there anything I need to be worried about what is going on? So it's not accusatory so much as like, what the hell is this? Yeah. Um,
0: also, I have a feeling at that point in time, they would have been, if anything would have given
1: them great pleasure right? to get a rise out of her at all. Right. You know, um, so she and her public statement was, I couldn't make much out of it. It was just a lot of mumbo jumbo. So these tapes were supposed to be the recording of him having some, this, some illicit affair and it, attached with it is a letter advising Martin Luther King to kill himself and not accept the Nobel prize. Um, and I I mean, that sounds like a crime. Yeah. Huh? Um, so I, the full text of the letter is available on Wikipedia and several other places. Um, I read through it and it's written ambiguously enough. So you can't say that it says to kill himself, but it says to kill himself. Um, it names some of his, like some of his, um, women contacts, by name and says that they're the women he's having these affairs with. Um, so he, like I said earlier, he basically found out goes, this is the FBI. I know they're out to get me. I think they have our house tapped." Like he calls them on their bullshit. And so years okay. later, all of this gets declassified and guess what? He was right.
0: So I have a question and uh-huh. it doesn't really matter one way or the other. Was he having an affair or
1: was this all like bullshit? So that's the thing is we, I don't have an actual answer to that. She has never said that he had an affair, but there are official statements that he was. Um, Mm -hmm. But one of the interviews that she gave later in life, um, she said nothing was going on. I would know a wife always knows.
0: It's just, well, first of all, it's interesting because whether he was having an affair or not, he was still, like, an amazing man and fighting for rights of our country, which, if you ask anyone in Congress if having an affair should preclude you from being a member of Congress, they're
1: going to tell you
0: no, because they all have affairs. So
1: well and so this was not all but most but it's like a lot for sure that's
0: not that's not something to disprove your
1: right this is trying to discredit him as a human being
0: exactly that's not like that is not a yeah no
1: okay so um the civil rights movement keeps growing Um, she works hard to pass the civil rights act of 1964. She meets with Malcolm X just days before his assassination. He tells her that, um, he's not in Alabama to make trouble for her husband, but instead to make white people have more appreciation for King's version of protests because they could have him. Um, which I think you mentioned was in the movie too. Um, Mm -hmm. so, um, on March 26, 1965, King's father joins her, Socrata's father joins her and her husband for a march that would later end in Montgomery. Um, her father, for the first time, caught a glimpse of America's true potential, she said, and um, called it the greatest day in the whole history of America after seeing chanting for his daughter's husband by both Caucasians and African Americans. So he is empowered by seeing that... Aww all this work is not for naught. Um, so she criticizes the sexism of the civil rights movement in 1966. She says that not enough tension has been focused on the roles played by women in the struggle. She says by and True. large men have formed the leadership in the civil rights struggle, but women have been the backbone of the whole civil rights movement. Um, and if you have paid attention at
0: all in the past couple of weeks, Yes, the murderers of George Floyd have been apprehended and taken into custody. The murderers murderers of Breonna Taylor have not.
1: Yep. Um so two years later, Martin Luther King Jr. is shot and killed in Memphis, Tennessee on April 4th, 1968. She learns of the shooting after being called by Jesse Jackson when she comes home from shopping with Yolanda.
0: Okay. I was wondering if that was who that was because she just says, hi, Jesse. And then they just never mention like anything. Yeah. Else. And I was like, was it Jesse Jackson or yes. cause I didn't want to say it was, if it really wasn't,
1: you know? So she then is left to explain to her children that their father is dead she receives this overwhelming number of um telegrams including one from lee harvey oswald's mother which she regards as the one that touched her the most
0: really Uh uh-huh that's very interesting
1: um so also if
0: you don't think he acted alone you're nuts. If you don't think the assassinator or the the murderer of Martin Luther King Jr. acted alone, you're also nuts. Um,
1: yeah, no joke. Sorry. No, Sorry. you're fine. You're fine.
0: <laughs> I have feelings and I'm kind of drunk cause I, yeah.
1: So two days after her husband's death, she speaks at Ebenezer Baptist church. She makes her first statement on his view since he dies. Um, she says that her husband told their children quote, if a man had nothing that was worth dying for, then he was not fit to live. She brought up his ideals and the fact that he may be dead, but concluded that his spirit will never die. Um, not long after the assassination, she actually takes his place at a peace rally in New York city. She uses the notes that he'd written before his death and she writes her own speech based around them. Um, She approaches um, Josephine Baker, who's a a black entertainer and activist, and asks her Mm -hmm. to take her husband's place as the leader of the civil rights movement. Baker declines after thinking it over, but stating that her 12 adopted children were too young to lose their mother. So
0: Coretta Scott King
1: takes the helm herself. Good girl. Get it. She broadens the civil rights movement to focus, like, to include... Uh, women's rights and LGBT rights, as well as economic issues and world peace. Mm-hmm. Um, she calls in 1968, she calls for women, quote, to unite and form a solid block of women power to fight the three great evils of racism, poverty, and war. Um, she speaks at an anti-war demonstration in the place of her husband. She really does just take up his mantle um on june 5th 1968 bobby kennedy is shot after winning the california primary for the democratic nomination for president of the united states um yes. after he died ethel kennedy who king had spoken to with her husband only two months before um so uh ethel i mean uh coretta flies in to comfort ethel And to kind of guide her through what young widowhood looks like. Um, Right, right. Mm -hmm. So they just kind of form this. She starts to form this pact with or this bond with so many women whose husbands have been assassinated for trying to make a change. Um, Murdered. Yep. So she finds the... um, or she found the Martin Luther King Jr. Center for Nonviolent Social Change in Atlanta. Um, She works as the center's president and CEO for a long time, and then she passes um, leadership to her son, Dexter. Um, And removing herself from the leadership allows her to spend more time speaking and writing and uh, going to visit her parents. She publishes. Okay, I
0: low key love the name Dexter.
1: So he was named after the church that Martin Luther King Jr. was a preacher at.
0: I do. I like. I love the name. Actually, and I think the nickname Dex is like so cute.
1: Uh huh. Anyways, back to your story. Right. Um, So she publishes memoir. Her memoirs, My Life with Martin Luther King Jr. in 1969. Um, I put that on my reading list. Right. Nixon is advised against visiting her on the first anniversary of um Martin Luther King Jr's death since it would cause outrage um so it is trash though so right um let's see so credo scott king was also under surveillance by the fbi from 1968 until 1972 her husband's activities had been not monitored during his lifetime i was mentioning this earlier documents obtained by a houston texas television station show that the fbi worried that credo scott king would tie the anti-vietnam movement to the civil rights movement so um the FBI studied her memoir and concluded that her, quote, selfless, magnanimous, decorous attitude belied her actual shrewd, calculating business-like activities.
0: Can we just say that the FBI in the 60s was like, let's speculate wildly until we think something makes sense.
1: Right, they're they're throwing pasta at the wall to see what sticks.
0: Let's see what sticks, yeah. They're like, yeah, she could totally bring anti-war and civil rights in the same right movement. That's a that's a thing, right?
1: <laughs> I hate it. So, um she starts fighting to create a memorial national holiday or federal holiday um and she's finally successful in 1986 when it becomes a federal holiday. Um after the death of j edgar hoover she makes no attempt to hide her bitterness toward him or his work against her husband and a long like she makes a long statement about it um a same
0: two sorry
1: not sorry (laughs) um she let's see she just does so much like she stays so active she's like elizabeth schuyler and the amount of stuff that she does after her husband is nice. killed. Um, Good girl. So, do, 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 trying to skip ahead, because all this is was interesting to me, but not super important. Um, so, in the 1980s, she um, makes a very public speech about her opposition to apartheid and um she participates in a series of sit-in protests in DC that prompted a nationwide demonstration against South African racial policies um she takes a 10-day trip to South Africa in September of 1986 um she cancels a meeting with the president of in South Africa but the next day she meets with um other significant leaders um, she met, met with Nelson Mandela during this time. She calls it one of the greatest and most meaningful moments of my life. Um, sorry, no, she met with uh, Winnie Mandela because at the time, Nelson Mandela was still imprisoned. In uh, prison, yes. yeah. And so um, she draws a lot of comparisons publicly between the United States civil rights movement and the things that Nelson Mandela was going through Um, Mm -hmm. she then has a meeting with Ronald Reagan and urges him to approve economic sanctions against South Africa. Um, she spends a long time being an advocate for world peace. Um, she was vocal in her opposition to capital punishment as early and, um, and of the 2003 invasion of Iraq. She started fighting for LGBT equality in August 1983. She urged DC, like, she urged an amendment in DC of the Civil Rights Act to include gays and lesbians as a protected class. Um, so super way ahead of her time. Incredible woman,
0: yes. And let's also make sure we include black trans women in this um focus because they are being. Right. discriminated against more and I, I hate that.
1: Right. Um so um the day after Martin died, she started dreaming up this idea of the King Center, which was this official memorial dedicated to the advancement of the legacy of his ideas. Um and she starts working to, to, to plan this $15 million fund for setting up the memorial. Um, after raising funds from a private sector in the government, she finances the building of the complex in 1981. Um, she undergoes a lot of criticism because people say that she's just using it to um, basically sell merchandise and therefore... Um, cheap in his memory and um she was like oh no the whole world can buy the full text of the i have a dream speech yes my husband would have hated that that was accessible to everybody what a bummer (laughs) um god in 2005 um antioch college where she had gotten her first two years of school EREXA school called the Coretta Scott Center for Coretta Scott King Center for Cultural and Intellectual Freedom and it's a um center that has learning resources to address issues of race class gender diversity and social justice um it opens mm-hmm. in 2007 and it's super cool um so um By the time she's 77, she's experiencing health problems. Um, She's hospitalized in April 2005 after speaking in Selma at the 40th anniversary of the Selma voting rights movement. And she's diagnosed (laughs) with a heart condition, but she's discharged on her 78th birthday. Um, Later, she suffers a few small strokes. And on August 16th, 2005, she's hospitalized again after another stroke and a mild heart attack. Um, she was unable to speak or move her right side. Um, she leaves the hospital, but she can't fulfill any of her obligations. Um, so on January 14th, 2006, she makes her last public appearance at a dinner honoring her husband's memory. On January 26th, 2006, she checks into a rehab center in Rosarito beach, Mexico, Under a different name, doctors did not learn her real identity uh, until her medical records arrived the next day, and they did not begin treatment due to her condition. Um, So she dies the late evening of January 30th, 2006, at this rehab center. So, I have a question. Uh Uh-huh.
0: Did they not treat her because they didn't know who she was? No, so... uh, Okay,
1: they didn't treat her because once they learned how advanced her heart condition was, they didn't have okay, options. Okay. Um, okay.
0: Okay. I that I understand. I was like, wait, because they didn't know she was Coretta Scott King. That's not okay. So but, she was.
1: Okay. It sounds like she was trying to hide her identity so that they could try something. I don't know that to be true, but that's kind of what I gathered. So maybe like an
0: experimental right procedure. Okay. Um.
1: Okay. Which how oh, she God. was undergoing this holistic care in this
0: country is also. Fucked. Thank you for coming um, to
1: my TED Talk. Right. So she was undergoing holistic therapy for her stroke and then advanced stage ovarian cancer, um, and that was the thing they couldn't work on. Sorry. So um, the main cause of her death, though, was respiratory failure due to complications from the ovarian cancer. Um, her funeral lasted eight hours, and it was attended by everybody. <laughs> um just everyone went (laughs) george w bush bill clinton george hw bush jimmy carter their wives um except for barbara bush who had a previous engagement the ford family was 2006
0: was reagan still alive
1: i don't know that answer okay um barack obama attends um of course carter like jimmy carter and uh reverend joseph lowry deliver funeral orations um dude, dude, dude she received a hundred thousand awards in her lifetime um
0: like actually a hundred
1: thousand <laughs> no but she should have oh um she was the, it could have happened. I don't She was the recipient of various honors and tributes both before and after her death. She receives honorary degrees from many institutions including Princeton, Duke, Bates College. She's um, honored by both of her alma maters in 2004. She receives a Horace Mann Award at Antioch College and an outstanding Alumni award from the New England Conservatory of Music. Um, In 1970, the American Library Association begins awarding a medal named the um, Coretta Scott King Award to Outstanding African-American Writers and Illustrators for Children's Literature. Um, Oh, nice. In 1978, Women's Way awarded her the first Lucretia Mott Award for showing a dedication to the advancement of women. Um, Okay, she receives the freedom, the four freedom award for the freedom of worship. She receives the key of life award from the NAACP. She receives a Candace award for distinguished service from the national coalition of hundred black women. Um, mm-hmm. she gets a golden plate award of the American Academy of achievement. She gets the okay. Gandhi peace prize by the, from the government of India. um, she win some kind of cool French award, I think let me make sure um that it wasn't her like let me make sure that it was her. I don't have it in here, so maybe that wasn't her maybe that was a different thing I was researching, but I thought she went to France and received an award that was she was the only like non French person to win, but again thirty pages of notes, so sure <laughs> um. The uh, Super Bowl XL, I don't remember what those numbers mean, but um, is dedicated to King and Rosa Parks. And I know that those two women want their memory um, tied to the world's largest um, advertising fiasco. That's, you know, a real good way to honor them. Um, oh my gosh. The children of both so parks. L hold on keep going the children of both parks and king help tom brady with the coin toss at the beginning and um two choirs representing the home states of coretta scott king and um, rosa parks sing the national anthem um and she's inducted in the alabama women's hall of fame in 2009 and the national women's hall of fame in 2011 also, XL is forty. Thank it's you. Well, forty. So yeah, just two incredible women that I had the great pleasure to read about this week.
0: I am kind of jealous of you for getting to like do the actual research this week.
1: Well, you had to see Mary J. Blige, so I think we're even.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I guess
1: all right well we are at two hours and 15 minutes so i think it's time to go ahead and wrap this up thanks for hanging in there thank you uh find us at all the socials shoot us a message rate review subscribe we love you um next week we are watching daughter for sale yeah and uh don't forget to eat your vegetables and charge your phone bye bye This has been Lifetime Sentence, where the truth really is stranger than fiction. Thanks for listening.